you would please open in the Bible to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look this morning at uh, the first 25 verses, and then I'll also make reference uh, to a few other verses as well. So it'd be good if you have the Bible open in front of you. There's a pew Bible near you somewhere. Open to Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and this is on page 855 in the Pew Bible. If you would please stand. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. 
And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to be together today. Thank you so much, Father, for the love you've placed between us in Christ. We pray now, Father, that you would send your powerful spirit upon us, that you would pry open our cold, resistant hearts, that you would put away from us all the distractions that keep us from hearing you, and that we might, Father, hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. For your Son, Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, once again, thank you for being here uh, this morning at MetroCrest. Liz, Steve, thank you for lighting the first candle of Advent 2021. Uh, It's a beautiful thing, really, to think about uh, that candle of hope, uh, that reminder, strictly a reminder. There's nothing magical about it, is there? Uh, Just a reminder of the hope that shines in us and through us, for us. Uh, as a witness to Jesus Christ, who was born among us to live, to walk among us, to teach us the truth, and to die for us. And it's in his name that we are gathered this and every Lord's Day. Uh, Advent's a special time for me. It's a, it's a season of preparation. Uh, obviously, it's a time when we're preparing to celebrate Christmas. Uh, Christmas is uh, one of those times in the year when there's a lot to be excited about. We've got a few kids in our house, grandkids, and it's a a joy to watch them as they are uh, coming to embrace this wonderful thing that we call Christmas. Uh, We're trying very hard to keep their focus on the right things, and uh, I know Mommy and Daddy are doing the same thing, and I know you're trying to do the same thing as well. In in our families, in our lives, we want to keep our focus on the right thing. There's so many pressures that would pull us away. Well, I'd like us to think this morning about keeping our focus on the right thing. And the thing I want us to focus on, and I believe the thing Luke wants us to focus on, and more importantly than that even, is that this, I believe, is what God wants us to focus on, which is hope. Hope. Uh, We've got to define that word. Uh, Today in our culture, in our language, the way we use hope is a little bit like a just something, uh, something I'd prefer to happen, uh, something that I would find enjoyable. So I hope we have pie for dessert, uh, or I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Uh, it's just sort of a wish, uh, something nice that I would like to see happen. And that's often what we mean by hope, and little more than that. But I don't have to tell you that in the Bible, hope is much, much more than that, and it is much, much more important than the things I kind of hope will happen. Hope, as it's defined in the scriptures, hope as we see over and over again in the scriptures, has to do with the most important things. I guess you could say we have uh, lowercase h hope, things I hope will happen, and then we have capital H hope. And John Piper very helpfully defined capital H hope this way Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass 
The, the reason that it's so special is because it's based not on my preferences, but on what God has revealed to us. And providentially, we've been thinking about faith, hope, and love as Colin has walked us through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me, let me just say in your behalf, I am so proud of Colin uh, for doing an outstanding job tackling a passage of the scriptures that all too often is misunderstood, misapplied. He took a very challenging passage and taught us God's word and helped us, I think, to understand a little better what hope is and why it's so important to Paul and to the Christian life. So thank you very, very much, Colin, for doing that. I think that was his first complete series where he planned it, put it together, and preached it start to finish, and I couldn't have been more happy. So let's think about this idea of hope that Paul writes so much about, that we see so many times in the scriptures, and that we see sort of demonstrated here in this passage. Now I'll acknowledge the word hope is not used here, but the idea of hope is embedded here. Because what's being described here is God keeping his promise. Uh, Let me get you to look back in the Old Testament. In fact, let's look at the very last book of the Old Testament. The Old Testament book of Malachi. You'll find it just after the prophet Zechariah, interestingly. The next book, the last book of the Old Testament, is the book of Malachi. And if you look over at chapter 3, On page 802, just a few pages before Luke, you'll see uh, this idea of God making a promise. This was written maybe 550 years before Zechariah was uh, in the temple in Jerusalem in Luke chapter 1. So this forms the backdrop, if you will, to what Zechariah is thinking in the temple. These words might very well be ringing in his ears. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, Behold, notice the quotation marks, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Slip down to verse 5. Again, in quotes, this is the Lord speaking. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. These these words are the Lord's words. These are the Lord's words, words of judgment. It's interesting, and when the Lord singles out here in Malachi the the sins that he will address in this coming reality, he focuses on some things we might not necessarily include in our list. But the way we teach, the, the way we treat the sojourner, that matters to the Lord God of Israel. Uh, the way we deal with hired workers, that matters to the Lord God of Israel. And as he's speaking these words of coming judgment, he focuses on the reality of sin, the reality of disobedience, the reality of rebelliousness. And so in this word of judgment, there is also 
a word of great hope, a word of promise. Look, if you would, down at uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 5. The Lord says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. It's impossible to escape the note of judgment. What's being announced here is, is includes this idea of judgment. But it's wrapped up in this promise. This promise that the God of Israel, the God of all things, who reigns over everything, this great God, first of all, is going to come himself. He's actually coming. He's on his way. And he's sending a messenger to prepare his way. So he's actually sending this messenger in, in chapter 4. He's, he's actually called Elijah the prophet, calling to mind the Elijah that we know in the Old Testament. Uh, this idea that there will be one like Elijah the prophet who will proclaim the coming day of the Lord. It will include the winnowing fork, but it will be primarily aimed at calling people to turn to the covenant-keeping God of the Bible, to turn to the God who speaks words of hope and promise. And so this word of judgment includes the promise of God's hope. And that's the note on which the Old Testament closes. Uh, Malachi's the very last uh, book of the Old Testament as we've received it. And uh, it closes with this Word of reality that includes both judgment and above all else, this promise that God himself is coming and he brings hope. So Malachi is a book of hope. Flip back to Luke chapter 1. The backdrop to Luke chapter 1 is hope. Judgment. And hope, the hope that God will keep his promise. Now that is a capital H, hope. That's not a personal preference. That's not something I'd like to see and hope it happens. No, this is a hope that underscores everything else. It undergirds all of our understanding of reality. That's the capital H, hope that is the backdrop to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, the birth of Christ, all of the gospel of Luke. In fact, the whole Christian life is built on this capital H, hope, that Paul talked about, that Paul trusted in and depended on. God's faithfulness to His promises. He will keep His promise. And that's the backdrop to this book. That's the backdrop not only to this chapter, but to the whole gospel. Capital H, hope God will do what he has said he will do. And uh, that's what we want to be thinking about this Advent. Uh, we want to be thinking about that hope, that, that little flickering candle reminds us of. Flickering in our perception, flickering in our experience, but unchanging and permanent and forever. And it is as certain as God is himself.
So that's, that's the backdrop to what we're going to see in the rest of the chapter. We meet this man, Zechariah. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Bear in mind, this whole book is being written by Luke according to uh, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, so that we can be certain. He, he actually is writing the whole book with us in mind. So we're actually reading a book that records history and it was put together so that we may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. So we're part of the intended audience. And so in this story that we're part of the intended audience, it says in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, to a Jewish reader, that, that would have been a very interesting sentence. Zechariah was a priest. That's, that was a big deal in first century Israel, in Judea, at the time of the writing of this gospel. It was a very big deal to be a priest. Uh, he was of the division of Abijah. That's the eighth of the 24 divisions that uh, King David had put in place to serve the temple. As he was preparing to build the temple, he put together these groups of priests. There were so many of them, they were divided into 24 divisions. And each division took a turn uh, protecting the temple and serving in the temple, overseeing the sacrifices in the temple. That was a big part of their job. They had to be uh, able to do that. In fact, there were age restrictions. You couldn't be under 25 and you couldn't be over 50. Those restrictions were actually laid out because it was a very important uh, function. And so that, that verse contains within it a lot for a first century Jew. Not only was... Uh, Zechariah, uh, a big deal for being a priest and a, a, a member of this important group of people who served the Lord in the temple, but he was actually married to a daughter of Aaron. So th- this is the combining of a, of a double priest family. Uh, Eli- Elizabeth was of the lineage of Aaron. Uh, Aaron's wife was actually named Elizabeth. And uh, so Elizabeth was of the priestly family and so was Zechariah of a related priestly family Uh, this was the combining of of a double priestly family that was a big deal so they're underscored as people of significance in the story they they were people that it was interesting to see what would happen next it was very important to understanding the story it says in verse six they were both righteous before God that's that's a Wonderful thing to, to read, isn't it? They were, they were righteous before God. It doesn't say they thought they were righteous or they felt righteous. Luke, writing under the power of the Holy Spirit, said they were righteous before God. We could parse that word and figure out exactly all that was involved in it. But it's very significant that Zechariah and Elizabeth both were righteous before the Lord. It says that they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They, they lived what they believed. They, they did what they said. They weren't just people who went to Bible study. They were actually people who lived out what they learned in the Bible. They cared and they sought to live a life of consistent witness. So they're, they're presented so far as exemplary in, 
in the story that Luke's telling. It is noted that they don't have a child, verse 7. That was a difficult situation in the first century, especially for a widow. We'll mention the widows. Uh, Why do we have deacons? One of the reasons we have deacons is because widows. Why is that important? Because in the ancient first century, there wasn't social security. There weren't welfare programs. So if a man died and left a widow, she was on her own. Uh, Her meals were on her own. She had to make arrangements for herself. It was a very uh, uncomfortable and even a very dangerous situation uh, for a first century woman to have no children around her to protect her and help provide for her. So she didn't have a child. Um, Zechariah did not have a son or a daughter. And they were advanced in years, so they weren't likely to have a child. They were apparently under 50 because he's part of the division that goes to work in the temple, and that was limited to age 50. So he wasn't uh, 60, 70, 80. He was somewhere before 50. But in that time, in that part of the world, that was old enough that uh, he was advanced in years. So we have a, a picture of a, of a complicated situation, a, a couple that were exemplary in the way they lived out their life as Jews, uh, a faithful priest who was righteous in the eyes of the Lord, who did what the Bible told him to do, his wife who did the same thing. They didn't have the usual provision for family and children to look after them. So that's the situation so far. We, we have a picture of a, of a, of a godly man. Uh, this month in uh, uh, November of this year, we have allocated our um, life change. This is the last Sunday of this, by the way. For ministerial relief for the Elizabeths of the world today who are living as widows, uh, their children, uh, if they're if they have children, the, the Ministerial Relief Fund, which your dollars support, will be taking that collection just a little bit. That goes to help people like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Anyway, that's the, the, the description so far, but it, it gets a little more complicated. Look at what happens in verse 18. Sorry, back up to verse 12. Uh, verse 11. Uh, there appeared to Zechariah at the... Uh, on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell, and fear fell upon him. That's the usual reaction in the Bible when you see an angel. Don't picture a little cherub. Uh, picture uh, a towering figure of strength, a towering figure of power, God's own power, sent here to Zechariah in the very temple Within the temple, there at the altar of incense, Zechariah the priest sees this angelic being. And Zechariah did what any faithful Jew would do. He was overwhelmed with fear and he was uh, overcome. He was troubled. He, 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 it says fear fell upon him. And I imagine Zechariah fell down. We're not told exactly how he responded physically to what he saw, but we are told elsewhere how people responded Zechariah was filled with fear. The angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Zechariah was a man of prayer. 
your, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So Zechariah is actually given this wonderful promise, a specific promise. Now it's such an unusual promise that God sent an angel to announce it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's in a sense a, a, a lowercase h, a lowercase hope that was connected to a capital H promise from God. It was so important that God sent an angel to pronounce it to Zechariah. How does Zechariah respond? The, the, the righteous, blameless Zechariah who was a member of the priesthood who had served in the temple and was an old man nearing retirement. How does he respond? Well, it's not a very pretty picture, actually. If you look at verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Um, like I said, this isn't a very pretty picture if you, if you pause to think of the context. Um, Zechariah has just been talking to an angel. A messenger from God. It's unusual. It's unique. It's, it's crazy unique. It's so unique they write about it in the Bible. And yet, here Zechariah, the priest, is receiving a word from the Lord. And the first thing that comes into Zechariah's mind is doubt and confused questioning. Uh, how, how am I, how shall I know this? What kind of question is that to ask of an angel? (laughs) An angel who's just delivered in person a promise from the Lord. How shall I know this? How do I believe this? How do I act on this? What we have here actually is a little picture of Zechariah the priest, a righteous, faithful man, forgetting hope. He forgot hope. God who had been speaking his entire life, whose word he he obeyed. Here Zechariah is confronted with a word from that same God and he forgot the hope of God's promise. He forgot that God keeps his promises. It's going to stand in stark contrast to a Bible passage we'll look at next Sunday. But here Zechariah the priest actually forgets hope. He doesn't remember what God has told him and what God has always told him and the people of Israel. Notice how the angel responds in verse 18. I am Gabriel. Now Gabriel to us is just maybe a pretty name. Gabriel is the name of an angel, not just an angel, uh, Gabri is the Hebrew word for strong man, right-hand man, enforcer. And El is the Hebrew word for God. So in response to Zechariah's forgetting God's faithfulness and the hope that we have, Gabriel says, I'm God's enforcer, Zechariah. I bring a message from God in whose presence I stand. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Gospel. He actually brought gospel to Zechariah and gospel news was met with distrust and disbelief. 
Zechariah forgot. Verse 20, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he uh, went to his home. It's a very humbling picture of the, of the uh, righteous priest. It's a very humbling picture of a man, a, a, a man who is professionally a religious person. That, that was his life's work, was to be a servant of the Lord, to actually serve in the temple of the living God. And he's humbled to making hand signs. He can't say a word. He's humbled because he'd forgotten hope. You know, I, I think it's all too easy for us to forget hope. To seek to live a life in accord with the scriptures, to seek to be people who witness to Christ, and, and, yet, and yet to forget the faithfulness, the promises of God. The capital H promises that give meaning to everything else. When we face our little hardships or our big hardships, when we face hardship, so quickly we forget the capital H promises, the hope that is ours is those who know the God of hope. We can all too easily forget it. We can all too easily reject that very promise which should be the basis for our entire life. We can have our Zechariah moments. As an ordained person, sort of following in the footsteps of a Zechariah-type person, I can tell you it is, it, is a, it is a very sobering reality as a minister of the gospel to admit that I all too often fail to remember God's promises. I fail to trust and hope in his promises to us. Ask any elder, ask any deacon. We'll all tell you we know what it's like to have a Zechariah moment. We know what it's like to to know the promise of God and yet to forget it, to distrust it, to let it go. We sometimes have humbling moments as a result. But actually, it's, it's something that any covenant person can forget. Any of us can forget. If Zechariah, who's a part of the double priesthood and of the Jewish people, the serving in the temple, if he can forget, we can forget. We can forget God's covenant promises. We can forget that he keeps his promises. And we can slip too often like Zechariah. Well, it's embarrassing and sad to say, but to kind of going through the motions. We can slip into going through the motions. You can say prayers going through the motions. You can read the Bible going through the motions. And I'm not talking about bad people or people who don't know and love Jesus. I'm talking about people who know and love Jesus. We can slip all too easily into forgetting who He is, 
who we're talking to, who we're praying to, who we're reading about, who we're singing about. All too easily we can forget him. We can forget the hope that is ours in him. Now, fortunately, the story for Zechariah does not end there. Fortunately for him and fortunately for all of us, flip over the page. Just look at um, Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father. That's what he'd been reduced to. They made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. The same reaction Zechariah had had when he met the angel. Well, fear falls upon the neighbors when they witness what happens to Zechariah. They wondered. They had fear come on all of them. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And then verses 67 down through verse 79. Zechariah who moments before was speechless, unable to say anything, sings. He sings. He sings, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, speaking to little baby John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew up and became strong in spirit. Zechariah's reminder of God's faithfulness is the means by which he remembers hope. He remembers hope. Having forgotten it, having suffered for a time because he forgot it, he remembers it. And what happens? God restores his voice and he bursts out in song. It was a lovely thing to see a choir standing up here today. 
giving voice, praise, thanks to God Almighty. And their voices are meant to stir our voices, like Zechariah's voice is meant to stir our voice to sing out gratitude and praise and worship and hope in the sovereign God of the universe. The God who in Christ has come into the world, who sent a messenger, John the Baptist, to be the voice of Elijah, to prepare the nations to receive the one who was coming. Songs of hope, songs of promise, songs that are meant to stir us to look with gratitude and praise toward the God whom we see in Christ. What an incredible thing it is. You know what Zechariah's name means? It means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. So Zechariah, the priest who forgot God's promises and forgot hope, Zechariah remembers the God who remembers. And Elizabeth, her name means the Lord is my oath. The Lord is is a promise. Zechariah and Elizabeth miraculously become in their own lives witnesses to the power of the sovereign God. He doesn't answer every plea that way. Not every childless couple miraculously has a child. But here is the God who keeps His promises. Here is the God who remembers the covenant and who will speak words of hope to you and me and to all those, all those who will turn to Him. Words of hope. You know, in the Bible, hope, as I said, is not just a word for what we would like to see happen. Hope is confidently expecting that something will happen because God has promised it and waiting patiently for it with joy. Confidence. It's the kind of hope that we talked about in the Westminster Catechism that Troy led us in just a moment ago. See, that's a capital H hope. A capital H hope that God has promised the resurrection for those who trust in Jesus. That is God's promise. And we remember that at the graveside of someone we love. We remember that capital H promise. We remember it ourselves when we face uncertainty, when we don't know what's going to happen when we're confused, we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're frightened, like Zechariah was frightened, we remember the hope that is ours in Christ. We remember that hope. We might forget it for a moment. But we remind each other, don't we? Every Sunday we remind each other. That's one thing we do. When we get together, we remind each other of our hope in Christ. And during Advent, we particularly remind each other of the promise that Jesus Christ will Come again. Did you know that's the answer to every prayer you will ever pray? Whether he gives you a child in advanced age or whether he doesn't give you a child in advanced age, there is a coming answer to every plea from every heart and it's Jesus returning in glory. That's the answer, the ultimate answer to every prayer we will ever pray. And to remember that, well, that's part of what Advent's for. It's not just getting ready for a holiday. 
it's getting ready for life. And it's an annual reminder. It's something we do every year. Every year we remind each other in a very intentional, very focused way over several weeks. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming again and he's closer right now than he was at the beginning of this sermon. He's coming. And he is bringing the answer to every promise. So it's meant to give us great hope. It's it's meant to give us confidence. There's more. You know, the the word hope shows up, I think, 55 times in the New Testament. And in almost every instance, it has to do with hope in something God's going to do. And in the very first instance in the gospel, the word hope shows up for the very first time in reference to the Gentiles. Matthew describes the hope that we have in Christ as hope for the Gentiles, hope for the world. So the Christian hope is hope for me, it's hope for you, it's hope for us, but it's also hope for the world. It's not just me, it's not just us. We're reminded that God has spoken promises from the beginning of the Bible all the way through Revelation, which closes with, Come, Lord Jesus. The whole book witnesses to the promise that one day in Christ, God was going to bring everything to perfection. He's going to deal with every broken heart. He's going to deal with every tear. He's going to deal with everyone who ever suffered in His namesake. He's going to deal with it all. And we want to remember that. We want to live every moment of every day in light of that promise. In light of that hope. That we have a hope that gives meaning to everything else. Every joy, every tear, everything is lived in light of our hope in Christ. We might forget it from time to time, but this is a time when we recalibrate (laughs) We recalibrate. What a wonderful way to begin a new church year, to recalibrate, to to catch ourselves in those Zechariah moments when we forget, when we just forget. It's very human to forget. So God reminds us. He, He gives us his word to remind us again and again and again over a lifetime. So I'm hoping this holiday season... We will remember those promises. It will move us to joy. It will move us to hope and confidence. And I hope it will move us to care about the nations, the people around us who don't know Jesus, to invite them to our little events and let them know that Jesus loves them, to share his word with them. 